Hi there, this is Christian Horner. You've won the Austrian Grand Prix. <laughs> this is Sergio Perez. Hi, I'm Max Stappen. You are listening to Talking Bulls, the official Red Bull Racing podcast. Oh, this feels good. <laughs> We're back, and so is Formula One for the 2021 season. The riveting first race took place under the lights in Bahrain and provided lots of promise to F1 fans for the season ahead. After an enthralling fight, Max settled for P2 after a late race duel with defending world champion Lewis Hamilton, while Sergio, of course, fought back from a pit lane start to claim a brilliant P5 at the flag. It seems only right that we start the podcast with Christian Horner and we can cross to the factory and speak to him now. Christian, welcome back to Talking Ball. Did you have a good Easter, some time with the family this year? Yeah, very good, thanks. I mean, we were lucky with the weather, the sun shone, a little bit of snow on one of the days, but uh, it was great to get a little bit of family time and um, obviously things starting to open up a little bit more in the UK with you know families uh, being able to mix, so that was nice to see. A couple of relatives. It must have been great to get the season finally off and underway and off to such a positive start in Abu Dhabi. It was a thriller. I'm sure you would have loved the victory though. Yeah, it was, it was a great race. I mean, it was a tough race to lose, but I think the overall winner was Formula One. It was an exciting challenge and duel between, you know, strategies between ourselves and Mercedes and, and the on-track battle between Max and uh, Lewis Hamilton. And, uh, you know, for a moment there, I thought we'd done it. But, uh, you know, with three or four laps to go, but uh, unfortunately it wasn't to be. But it leaves everybody fully pumped up, properly motivated for the season ahead. We managed back-to-back poles for the first time in the hybrid era. What can we expect now from the, the fight between Red Bull and Mercedes this season, do you think? I think, I, I certainly hope it's an exciting one and it's an intense one between now and the end of the year because I think that's what everybody craves, you know, in the sport. I mean, looking at the reactions after that race... Uh, even though we didn't win it, there were you know, a huge uh, amount of support from all our fans and uh, you know from around the world that just enjoyed the spectacle of seeing you know, two of the best drivers in the world going absolutely head to head. So uh, the overall winner was was Formula One, and I hope that we can keep that momentum going as we uh, come back into Europe now. You've mentioned how you would have loved the victory. You've had some time now to digest what happened with Max and that incident towards the end of the race. Obviously, race control told you to let uh, Lewis back past again, but Max wasn't the only driver to cross those lines. What's your view on that grey area in terms of sticking to the rules? It's a tough one. I mean, I think before the race, it was very clear if you managed to get a uh, a lasting advantage, i.e. an overtake, um, then uh, they, they, you would be asked to give the place back, which is absolutely what happened and what Max immediately and very sportingly did. I think what was a little bit greyer in the early part of the race was you know, the abuse of those track limits. And I think everybody just wants clarity. Can you use it or can't you use it? But I think the worst thing for the fans, for the drivers, for the teams is to say, well, you can use it in this instance, but not in another. I think in all other sports, you know, it's binary. You're either in or out. And I think that it would be, in many respects, easier to deal with that. We heard you talking to Max on the team radio on the TV broadcast as that, as that happened to explain to him why uh, that decision had been made. How was he when he got out of the car and I guess you guys debriefed after the race? You know, he was very sporting about that. Obviously frustrated to have lost the race. He knew he got an advantage there. I think he was a bit upset when he saw the amount of abuse that there'd been 
earlier in the race with those with those track limits but um you know that's racing that's that's the way it is and uh you know we lost on that day but we've taken away confidence that we've got a good car we've got a uh, you know great engine behind us as well this year and looking forward really to the to the challenges of the next 22 races he must be so excited about the car that he's got to drive this season how is his mindset at the moment going into this season well i think it's the first time you know we've got off the season to a really good start pre-season testing was strong for us he dominated every session, you know, the qualifying. The only thing he was second in was, unfortunately, the race. Um, but uh, I think that that, you know, bodes well for the season ahead. And, you know, we know going up against, you know, quality opponents like the likes of Mercedes, you know, they are undisputed champions for the past seven years. And I think that, uh, you know, we're going to have an enormous battle on our hands to take that fight to them. And, um I'm sure that they will be pushing very, very hard to improve their performances from Bahrain. And this battle is what Formula One fans have been looking for for a few seasons now. And it's exciting to see it. it's potentially going to happen. Do you think there's enough with this car for Max to challenge, Lewis? I think you've got to see, wait and see three or four you know, data points. So three or four races are going to give us a picture of how do we fare compared to Mercedes. Was it just a one-off in Bahrain? Is it something... A, you know, that will follow through into Imola and Portimao and Barcelona. I think if we do that, then very much it is, uh, uh, you know, all on for the rest of the season. How has Checo settled in? I think he settled in very well. I mean, obviously, uh, Saturday was tough for him. Um, you know, Sunday was outstanding. And uh, it was a shame he didn't make the cut to Q3. I think uh, a small mistake on his second lap in Q2 when, when we wanted to keep him on the pref- preferable start tyre. Uh, with hindsight, we should have maybe gone a little bit uh, more conservative, but he felt confident that he could make the improvement. Unfortunately, a small mistake on the Saturday dropped him to P11, and then an issue on the warm-up lap to the grid, or the reconnaissance lap, and great presence of mind and experience and a cool head uh, for him to effectively reboot the whole car, turn it off and on, and get it fired up and going again. I think there's many drivers that would have just jumped out at that point so uh you know fantastic from Sergio and then a phenomenal drive you know through the field you know richly deserving uh driver of the day that he uh that he was awarded so from the back of the field to fifth was a great debut for him in in one of our cars and that sort of neatly sums up why you signed him doesn't it well yeah I mean Checo obviously uh has such a great amount of experience and I think bringing that depth of experience to the team is something that that we valued very highly and I think that he will be a strong teammate for Max and uh, you know hopefully we, we need two competitive cars right up there and uh, that gives us another strategic dimension. You would have had a chance to have a look at the data and, and figure this out I'm sure whether you want to tell me or not is a different matter. Do you know what happened to his car on that formation lap yet? Do you, do you understand the issue? It was an electrical issue I think we've we've started to uh, understand it so we've Need to address that, obviously, in time for the next race in Imola. But, uh, you know, a frustrating gremlin that we haven't seen before. So, uh, but great presence of mind with him to reboot the car and get it going again. I absolutely love that just turning it off and back on again was the, was the fix there. It's exactly the same as a laptop. Yeah, control, alt, delete, and away you go again. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was great presence of mind by Sergio. And I think that his recovery drive thereafter was fantastic. You know, he was very decisive in his overtaking and, and had great pace and uh, to come from the back of the field to fifth was a, a, a great performance. And almost in many ways 
I mean, I'm sure he would have loved that to have been a spotless race from start to finish. But the sort of driver that he is, he'll take a lot of confidence from that performance, won't he? Very much so. I mean, that's the most sustained seat time he's had in the car since joining the team. Obviously, very limited amount of pre-season testing for all the drivers this year. So for him to get that mileage was, uh, was fantastic. He'll have plenty more time to, to sit in the car this season. And it won't have escaped your notice. There are 23 races this season. That is a lot. How do you begin to manage the team through that ambitious calendar? Well, it's ambitious. You've got to get your logistics right. You've got to you know, have a clear game plan uh, and just take each week at a time. Uh, you can't think too far ahead. You've got to be prepared to react to whatever the championship throws at you. And I think that uh, you know, just one day at a time, one week at a time, one race at a time, and uh, you know, they come thick and fast later in the year. So it's going to be a full-on season. What has it been like over the last year or so managing a Formula One team during a global pandemic? What have been some of the challenges that you've faced? I think during the past 12 months, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, with the, with the, the obstacles that, that uh, the pandemic has provided, has been you know, keeping the workforce communicating and, and connected. And when you consider the amount of data that we have at any given time, it's, uh, that's been a huge challenge. But I think the whole team has risen to that challenge fantastically well. And I think with our partners, with the technology that exists today, we've certainly tested it to the limit. And the whole team has reacted tremendously well with the right spirit, with the right positivity and determination. And I think that, you know, RB16B is a result of that collaborative teamwork. Now, this is, of course, Honda's last season in Formula One. Can you tell us a little bit about the importance of the relationship between Red Bull, Honda and ExxonMobil? It's a hugely important partnership for us. I mean, Honda have done a great job. They've pushed the boundaries with this engine. They've brought developments forward from 2022 into the 21 season. Together with ExxonMobil, they've done a, a phenomenal job uh, over the winter, you know, pushing to get performance to the car. And um, it's been, been truly impressive to see. And it's fully integrated into our chassis. We have a great working relationship between the two companies. And that's enabled us to optimise the car around around the power unit so uh, uh, we'll be sad to see them leave at the end of the year but hopefully we can finish on a high with them. Now obviously 2021 has only just started it must feel for you and the team though like you are spinning some plates at the moment because you'll of course have one eye on 2022 as well probably more than one eye. Yeah I mean it's uh, you're having to split your resource between the two two uh, cars RB16B and RB18 so uh, the design team are having to you know flick backwards and forwards but uh, it's a big regulation change for 2022 so you can't ignore that and a lot going on of course with Honda withdrawing from the sport with rebel powertrains becoming established and uh, uh, you know work a pace there um, to get a facility in place to be able to house that and so on on site on the campus here so lots you know lots going on off track and on track. So the the integration of the of the power unit division into the campus that's a case of building things as well as just integrating staff is it? Very much so. I mean we're fortunate on the campus here we have a an, enough space to be able to do that. So to uh, invest in a building to to house you know the engine facility in house becomes you know a true works outfit it uh, incorporates the powertrain into the heart of everything that we do and i think that there'll be synergies with the rest of the business that will come from that and it's an exciting project a really exciting project um you know red bull have never produced a power unit in 
in our history previously and to take on that challenge now is going to be you know absolutely enormously uh, challenging but we're embracing it we're looking forward to it and uh, relishing the chance I mean it's a huge investment for the team it's a, and as you say it's a huge step forward as well yeah, it's a big investment it's a big commitment to the sport there's there's risk associated to it but there's potential reward and an upside to it so uh, it's the one part of the car that we've never really had under our complete control previously now we've got the opportunity to do that and that's that's really exciting and I think everybody in the business is is really excited about the opportunities that that presents. How does that relationship with Honda work moving forward or does it work at all? Have, have Red Bull essentially sort of taken over Honda's F1 team or is it more of a sort of licensing agreement for their technology? Well, we're looking at to, to utilise their technology, obviously, moving forward and inevitably uh, transfer personnel from uh, HRD UK into uh, Rebel Powertrains Limited. So discussions are ongoing with Honda uh, about the exact detail of that. We have a, a framework, a principle, uh, a set of principles that we're working to, but uh, uh, it's now a matter of it's just sorting out the detail. It's really exciting, and we're very fortunate to have a partner like Honda uh, who've been tremendously accommodating and very, very supportive. Let's have a quick word about the Netflix show. How does it feel to see yourself on TV like that? Well, Netflix is, has been a real plus point for Formula One. It's brought a whole new audience, a whole new fan base to the sport. It's accessed people um, that aren't regular viewers of Formula One or didn't even know Formula One exists prior to, to Netflix coming on board with it. And it's, you have to remember it's a television um, series, so it's cut accordingly. But I think it's, uh, you know, it's a good thing for the sport. It brings it into the living room of so many fans around the world um, and highlight some of the drama, some of the rivalries, some of the bigger topics, obviously, during the course of a season. Of course, as I say, it's at the end of the day, it is a, it is a TV series. But, um, you know, Formula One's a soap opera anyway that, that happens every year at 22 or 23 races. So Netflix have done a great job in getting access and capturing that. You're used, I'm sure, to cameras being everywhere during the course of a race weekend. What's it like having cameras that up close and personal? Oh, you forget about them, to be honest. You get used to them. You're so focused on your job in hand that you don't recognise that they're really there. So um, they've almost become in the background, as it were. So uh, And sometimes you have to, have to remind, remind yourself that they are there because some of the language can get a little bit colourful at times. But uh, I think overall, Netflix has been a very positive thing for Formula One. Now, just very quickly before we finish, I wanted to have a quick word about uh, the three Red Bull Juniors in F2 this season. Do you keep an eye on them too much? How how much interaction do you have with them? Well, obviously, they're all Red Bull Junior drivers, so we keep a very close eye on their development. They're working on the simulators here in Milton Keynes, and, and we watch very closely, you know, how they're performing, how they're evolving... And it, we're, we're fortunate to have such encouraging young talent, you know, Yuri Vips, Liam Lawson and uh, Daravala. They're, they're three really exciting young talents and we're following you know, their career progress with great interest. And the fact that they race on the same weekends that, uh, that Formula One's competing you know, it's very easy to follow their you know, their progress and how they're, how they're getting on. How important is it for the team to have that sort of production line of talents, maybe in other areas as well, as, as aside from drivers in the, in, the, in the garage? It's very important for us. I mean, we're continually um, developing and backing youth, whether it's, not, whether it's young drivers or graduates or apprentices across the different schemes that we have throughout the business. Because Red Bull very much 
has a youth culture of giving youth a chance and investing in youth and young talent and uh, it's great when you see that talent really start to thrive and uh, emerge. Finally there is a Wings for Life world run on the 9th of May this year there is a Red Bull racing team again I hear that your diary is a little bit busy on that day and maybe you won't be able to take part is there another time you'll be able to run the race yeah i mean wings for life and and the world run is it's a great initiative and if you haven't done it before you need to get involved and um this year it clashes unfortunately with the barcelona grand prix but i think i'm going to get out early in the morning go for a run you maybe down the seafront in in barcelona and uh you know get some miles in early but uh it's a it's a fantastic charity it's doing some great things for spinal cord research um and uh, absolutely worthwhile getting out there and um, pushing yourself to the limit, see how far you can go before the pace car catches you. Christian, thanks for speaking to us on Talking Ball. Good luck with the rest of the season. Thanks a lot. Great to hear from Christian. Do make sure you join the Red Bull Racing Wings for Life World Run team. As he said, it's going to be a great event and a really amazing thing to be involved in. Now, we talk a lot about what goes into making the Formula One car on Talking Bull, but it's not often we get to talk too much about the hard work that goes into the drivers that pilot them. We caught up with Max Verstappen's performance coach, Brad Skeins, while he was on track ahead of the Bahrain Grand Prix. Brad, you're in Bahrain. How is it over there? Uh, we are indeed yes uh it's pretty warm actually um very hot and uh everyone's uh got that start of season excitement about them so uh i guess a little bit of a uh, little bit of optimism a little bit of hope and you travel to all the races do you yes i do part of my uh my role is to to look after max during a, a race weekend so um, that could involve um warming him up before qualifying or, or race day or um washing the kit or uh driving them around or uh, you know a bit of everything i'm a physio by trade as well so uh, you know any little niggles or aches or pains we can we can sort that out here and there so you know max about as well as as anyone right <laughs> yeah my uh my wife will say i spend more time with him than uh, than her <laughs> how does that work out for your wife Ah, yeah, we're, we're doing okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'd imagine over the last year or so since you started working with Max, you've probably spent a lot more time with him because of lockdowns and the various breaks in the season than you would normally. That must have brought its own challenges. How is Max in shape before the start of the new season? I think lockdown and, and, and COVID-19 from uh, our perspective has been quite useful uh, for want of a, a sort of better word obviously we're, we're, we're in a pandemic and, and there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of stuff going on but what it has done is for us it's reduced the amount of travel the amount of uh, media and marketing commitments that has enabled us to get a real good block of pre-season training that we might not have had um, previously which has enabled us to arrive at the start of this season probably in the best shape Max has, has ever been which is exciting to see what we can uh, we can then do on track Formula One drivers have a sort of gruelling pre-season training like, like you hear from footballers and rugby players? Pre-season's where we get most of our work done because once the race schedule starts, we fall into more of a maintenance phase because you know if we're on back-to-back races, we're not going to be wanting to, to, to train hard in between because we need to recover, reset, ready for, for the next race. So pre-season is six, seven weeks of about six sessions a week. So normally a couple of double days and a couple of, couple of single days with, uh, with a day off. Uh, as well, it's not just one way of training for, for, 
for these guys. Um, we've got to think that they need to be cardiovascularly fit. They need to be strong um, in a number of different areas, upper limb, lower limb, neck. And they've got to do some high-intensity work because of the, the, the heart rate spikes that you get at, say, uh, uh, lights out at the start of a race and, and during those big overtakes. Um, so there's a lot of variation of the, the fitness that they need, which means they've got to do a lot more work uh, during the preseason. So what sort of exercises will you get Max doing to take into account those strains on the body, specific to motor racing, I guess? Uh, the cardiovascular side of things, um, we do a lot of uh, long, slow, steady state stuff that might be running that might be on the bike often beyond an hour hour and 10 minutes um one that, that helps with uh, with weight um race drivers have to be a, a certain weight um but it also builds that that um that endurance fitness um so that you can go out and and you can last two hours in the car in temperatures of up to you know 50 degrees in the in in the cockpit that's one thing we also consider so roughly about three weeks prior to a hot race we will we will train in a hot climate as well so we're quite lucky it's uh, nice and warm in the south of france so we just head out around midday and uh, and, and do our running then um, and it prepares him for the for the heat in the car we then uh, shift to the strength side of things and and the big thing in pre-season is getting the neck ready at any one time during a, a race drivers could sustain six g's of force going going around the corner so um six g's um is basically the same as body weight so if we consider the weight of the head at roughly five kilos the helmet's roughly two kilos so you've got seven kilos plus five or six g going through through the neck you're looking uh 35 to, to 42 kilos of uh of force that they're having to sustain to the side um wow. so they've got to be ready for that um and 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 driving obviously gets them ready for that but we don't have that during the preseason. I mean, I've seen videos in the past of the sort of headgear that the drivers will wear with weights attached to either side to sort of, I guess, replicate those movements and, and apply yeah. those forces and that weight. Is there anything else you do, I guess, using bands? And how, how, do, you, how do you train a driver's neck? Yeah, there's lots of different ways you can do it. Um, we have a, a, a gadget um, that we use, um, which uh, is attached to a number of different strength bands, um, and we can apply forces in in all directions, and we can also rotate through those uh, those forces as well. So that's a nice way of doing it. And then we also do uh, do some neck planks. Um, so you, you would have seen some pictures of Max on uh, on the Instagram uh, of these, where he's on a on a chair and holding his whole body weight with his uh, head on the chair and, uh, and and working through the neck there and they're pretty tough uh, I tried them myself I had neck pain for about a week <laughs> after <laughs> but uh, yeah he, he has no problems with those and uh, and smashes right through so what are his favorite things to do in the gym and which are the things which he tries to talk you out of when it comes up on a program favorite things uh, nothing talk me out of everything i guess it's with everyone who who, you know drives a formula one car training isn't their isn't their main thing they want to want to be in the car they know that they need to do it and you know max is very good at at getting his head down and and doing it but yeah it's uh it's it's not his favorite thing (laughs) um but i i guess if uh if if he had a choice uh he'd been off the running and uh and and uh, spend time sort of lift, lifting the weights on the on the balcony. I mean, you see Britain pretty pretty regularly, and I guess everyone listening to this podcast will understand that the, the levels of fitness that are required for 
being a Formula One driver, you're, I guess, looking for those marginal gains in the same way as the, the engineers and the designers are with the car. Max being 10% more ready to use his, his neck and to put up with those those stresses and strains will make him a better driver, right? I think the key thing um, to think about with, with the physical fitness is it's it could make you a worse driver. So being ultra, ultra fit isn't going to improve your performance in the car but not being fit to a level is going to cause you to drop off in the car so um you know these drivers are driving for hour and a half to two hours in temperatures of 30 40 sometimes 50 degrees heart rate sits around 70 80 percent of their their max and spikes to 90 at starts and overtakes they're having to sustain the the g-force through through the neck um they're having to apply pressure onto the brakes um they're having to press 20 or so different buttons on the on the steering wheel whilst listening to commands also whilst talking and this is all while driving at 300 kilometers an hour and uh, and, and and attempting overtakes so i think being a triathlete isn't going to make you better at doing that but at lap 70 of a 72 lap race where if you're feeling a bit fatigued that's where you're going to lose it mentally that's where your cognitive uh, processing is going to drop off and where you're maybe going to take that extra risk which you shouldn't have done or you're going to not attempt something because you know you just you you're too fatigued and tired so your decision making will uh, will suffer so do you work with max on coordination as well we do a bit during pre-season as we get a bit closer to the season we're lucky as well max max does a lot of sort of driving as well as part of uh, part of the pre-season <clears throat> so a lot of that comes from from the driving itself that's a, a very sport specific one which you you can't really mimic we certainly do it as as part of a warm-up which uh, again it just gets the nervous system that neural processing switched on and and primed and, and ready to go so i mean formula one used to be very rock and roll didn't it drivers used to enjoy themselves after a race during races sometimes as well um are there any drivers who still try and enjoy that lifestyle a little bit too much or is everyone now fully focused on fitness and health and really getting their their head down and making sure that they're, they're focusing on the driving yeah i think the the needle's certainly shifting um people are recognizing as in is in any sport really you look at football um you have to be an athlete before a footballer these days you look at basketball you have to be an athlete before a basketball player i don't think it will ever swing fully to formula one because you know the car and the ability to drive is is still the key thing but people are slowly recognizing the importance a little bit more and and you know if your competitors doing it and and they're getting benefits from it then then you need to be doing it as well but it's also important to to, to get good recovery and good rest and, and get some form of normality in life as well because you know 23 race season you spend a lot of time away from home a lot of time traveling and uh, doing that work so you know after a race few beers a couple of days off is uh, is never a bad thing we talk a lot on the podcast about the fuel that goes into the cars obviously the fuel that goes into the drivers is equally important what what do formula one drivers eat I think the, the the key thing to think about here is is all the drivers need to to make a certain weight within that cockpit. You've got eighty kilograms, um, but that includes the seat, that includes all the kit, and then the driver makes up the the rest of that. And then the more you go over that, the more you're going to have performance um, deficits on the car. You know when we're talking about these these fine margins, those marginal gains. 
So there's there's a certain amount of uh, um, fueling with that in mind, but you also have to to, to fuel for for the energy it takes to to get in the car and drive and to recover from travel and and make sure you can recover particularly on back-to-back races as well so it's a real mixed bag and we can adjust it for you know if we're struggling a little bit with weight going into a weekend we might adjust it a little bit or if we're a bit jet lagged from a from a long travel then we might use something to you know pick ourselves up a little bit and, and get the energy back on point so it varies through uh through a race season i'd imagine hydration is really important ahead of a race and during a race especially thinking about those really hot races and i mean i guess even a normal race the the you know being that close to the track being that close to the engine the drivers are going through a lot in terms of heat yeah um they can lose um up to in some races 2.5 liters of, of fluid um, wow. which uh you know that can equate to sort of three kilos of body mass which is which is a lot and will negatively affect performance so during a race weekend we will preload with uh, with fluid um, and electrolytes so um, sort of you know the sort of electrolyte tablets that you can get put in water we use varying strengths of those to to build up and then in the car the driver can have up to 1.5 liters of um, driver drink in there as well which again is um, water mixed with uh, some electrolytes uh, maybe a carbohydrate mix now you're a physio as well as a coach brad you don't hear very much about drivers being out through injury in the same way as you might do in a, a more contact sport but are there are there injuries that drivers pick up which would negatively affect them you're right there's there's not many time loss injuries which is uh, which is a good thing i think when when you actually look at um the biggest time loss um incident for for formula one drivers across the years concussions actually the biggest uh, um, biggest one that's caused drivers to, to miss races before yeah and that's down to those forces you talked about the, the, yeah the, not, normally from like a crash or or, or something but uh, but yeah you can get concussion just from simply like a like a whiplash injury you know being thrown forwards or to the side and it's the way the brain hits the inside of the of the skull but yeah beyond that um most common injuries i mean drivers pick up niggles and and obviously if you're in pain in the car then um that that could potentially negatively affect performance most common tends to be lower back pain and they tend to sit in uh, poor positions uh for long periods of time and then um sort of hand and wrist after that just through, through gripping and um, and and the tension that goes through there. I mean, because that's quite an unnatural position, isn't it? That they're in when they're when they're driving. They're, they're cramped inside the cockpit and obviously using their fingers as well as the as well as their wrist to turn the steering wheel. Yeah, the engineers want uh, want to keep using the space as uh, as much as they can, so the cockpit seems to get smaller every year. And and surprisingly, neck isn't that high on the list. Actually, they, they sometimes get a little bit sore from from some of the harder tracks. But I think most drivers now prepare themselves a lot for that. But you've only got to look at uh, uh, Nico last year at Silverstone. He was uh, really struggling with his neck in that in that first race that he did um, as a replacement for Sergio. Um, aside from Max. Who are the who are the fittest racing drivers? Who takes it the most seriously? Is there anyone in the paddock who's well known for doing some clean and jerks in the corner while everyone else is uh, chilling out? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I don't know too much really. Um, I've seen some of Pierre Gasly's five uh, k times. He's uh, he's pretty quick through there. 
Lewis is uh, always running or, or skiing or doing something uh, along those lines. Um, I think Carlos uh, Sainz likes his um, likes his weight. He was uh, shifting a decent decent sum through uh, for a bench press uh, earlier uh, out, out here in Bahrain. So uh, that's probably more for the parties after the racing, though, isn't yeah, it? Maybe, maybe yeah. just getting ready. Good, but, <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, you know, we've we've named three drivers there. There's there's others that are, are taking it seriously now. So it just shows the different perspective now that drivers are taking on on being fit um, and being a being a driver athlete rather than just a, just a driver. How did you get involved with Formula One and Red Bull, Brad? I get asked this question a lot, and I think. A lot of that was just just being in the right place at the right time for me. I've worked in a number of different sports before. Um, at the time before I came into Formula One, uh, I was working for a performance centre uh, in London on Harley Street. And just through that, you get to know a few people that are working in Formula One. I got linked in with a, a company called Hints of Performance, and then it just went went from there. This year is is my first year working for sort of Red Bull straight up, and uh, yeah, it's exciting. Um, we're doing some different stuff with the junior driver program as well. So some of them have got their own coaches. Some of them will access our uh, Red Bull facility out in um, in Austria. Um, but yeah, just just making sure everyone's on the same page, everyone's aspiring to to the same thing, and and achieving the um, sort of the, the physical and, and mental performance goals that, that we require for, for Formula One. Well, Brad, enjoy the race this weekend. Give Max our luck. And thanks for speaking to us on Talking Ball. Yeah, no worries. Thank you very much. What a brilliant insight into what it takes to be a Formula One driver. And now we know why they all have such thick necks too. That's it for this edition of Talking Ball. Make sure you stay up to date with all the latest from the team on our socials and at redbullracing.com. We'll be back with more action from the 2021 F1 season very soon. Until then, take care.